The most interesting time in college basketball is obviously March, because the term March Madness was not coined for nothing. But here in the Valley of the Sun, in the first two weeks of April, we've seen Bobby Hurley staying and Lugens Dort leaving. We discuss those topics and more in this week's episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. Living in a devil town, I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the Devil Town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino, recording this podcast some 45 minutes after Bobby Hurley tweeted out that he and Ray Anderson, ASU's athletic director, and ASU president Michael Crow are working on a contract extension for Bobby Hurley. Since the statement is a brief one, I'll just read it really quickly. I'm thankful to President Crow and Ray Anderson for entrusting me to lead the basketball program at Arizona State. My family and I are proud to be Sun Devils and want to remain at Arizona State for a long time. We are in discussions to extend our agreement, and I look forward to continuing to build our program for long-term success. I will have no further public comment on my contract status until our agreement is finalized. Thank you, Sun Devil Nation. The reason for that Bobby Hurley statement was that this past Monday, literally an hour before the NCAA Tournament Championship game tipped off, uh, John Rostein from CBS Sports, somebody who's very close to Bobby Hurley and also has his vast network of contacts on the East Coast, reported that St. John's and its head coach, Chris Mullen, will part ways, and that Bobby Hurley was on the top of St. John's wish list to replace Mullen as head coach. The fact that Hurley was at the top of St. John's wish list was uh, definitely not no coincidence whatsoever, because St. John's athletic director, Mike Cragg, uh, has been at Duke for 31 years and actually started out being in the sports information department over there with the Blue Devils, so he actually knows Hurley from his playing days at Duke, and the, the two have remained in, uh, in, in close contact ever since. Uh, when the Final Four was played here in Glendale a couple years ago, uh, Craig and uh, Bobby Hurley and, and their families uh, spent some time together uh, in the Valley during that weekend. So that close relationship between both individuals is really how the whole process got started, and Bobby Hurley, who was definitely very secure here at Arizona State, accomplishing a few significant milestones, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, was suddenly now seemingly on the market, something that definitely caught a lot of people by surprise. And really, Arizona State, when you look compared to its Pac-12 peers, was one of the last programs you expected any coaching change to take place. It definitely has been, as many described, deafening silence from Monday until today, Thursday evening. We haven't heard anything in terms of the talks between both sides advancing or not. We haven't heard any word from Arizona State or any leaks, if you will, of the two working on to secure Bobby Hurley here for the long term until that statement, which I read a few minutes ago, came out just about 6.17 on Thursday evening, uh, right when Arizona State basketball's banquet was taking place. And that's something that myself and others 
really raised a question about does Bobby Hurley make a statement before that banquet takes place? It really seemed like he had to. There's no way he could not address the elephant in the room. There's no way that he could go up there on the podium talking to the ASU boosters attending that banquet, let alone his players and the ASU administration being vague about his future at Arizona State. That definitely was not the time and place, if there ever wasn't one, to make such a declaration. So not surprised that the announcement was made right before the banquet. And if you will, I think that the fact that the ASU banquet did pick, take place tonight, uh, didn't take place a few days ago, wasn't going to take place next week, really created a sense of urgency to resolve this issue sooner rather than later. So it inadvertently, Arizona State basketball's banquet really forced the issue to solve this matter on Thursday night, not let it drag throughout the weekend, let alone until next week, and came to a very successful and happy resolution if you're an Arizona State fan. And I really think that deep down, uh, both ASU administration and Bobby Hurley himself are very happy that a contract extension that was done last year to have Bobby Hurley under contract until 2023 is now going to extend beyond that date and make sure that whatever Bobby Hurley has built over here in Tempe in, in, in four short years does continue uh, well beyond the immediate future. I'm sure that uh, sometime next week we're going to hear about the financial terms of this contract. Keep in mind that Bobby Hurley did receive a raise of $700,000 in 2018. So I don't know if the raise itself is going to be anywhere close to that amount as this new extension will be formalized and finalized. But nonetheless, uh, there's definitely going to be a financial component of this extension rather than just extending it to 2024, 2025, or whatever the case may be. So let's delve in into why Bobby Hurley is staying at Arizona State and not taking that job at St. John's. Now, I went on record on my premium message board, Devil's Huddle, and if you're not a subscriber, I would definitely encourage you to subscribe today so you can look really in-depth as to all the reasons that I laid out. But just to summarize some of the highlights of the case for Bobby Hurley wanting to stay at Arizona State rather than go to St. John's, here they are. As a beat writer for the basketball team, I can tell you that Bobby Hurley is definitely a blunt and honest individual. And the reason I bring that up is not because of the way he conducts himself with the media, which is obviously always a welcomed approach, because you're not going to have a coach who's going to skirt around an issue, stonewall you if they don't like the question that you ask. They're really going to give you your your, their honest opinion each and every time. And one thing that this very honest and blunt individual said for the last, really, four years since he's been in Tempe is how much he and his family enjoy the Valley. And every anytime that any media member, whether it be just a B writer or somebody nationally raising the question, how long is Bobby Hurley going to stay in Tempe? When is Bobby Hurley going to realize that the grass is green or elsewhere? Bobby Hurley repeated time and time again 
how happy he and his family are in Tempe. Uh, he has a son that is still in high school. Uh, one of his daughters attends Arizona State, and I'm pretty sure that she transferred from a university uh, back east to do so. So Bobby Hurley definitely came across as a family man and somebody who really takes to heart the fact that not only he himself, but his family really enjoy living in the Valley. Uh, Bobby Hurley is an absolute workout freak. He loves hiking the McDowell, McDowell Mountains near his house uh, on a daily basis and just loves the quality of life that, let's face it, has caused Maricopa County to be one of the fastest growing counties in the, in the entire United States for the last 20, 30 years. So I know that it's easy in this day and age to be cynical with, about coaches saying how much they love it at their current job and list all the positive attributes that come along with living near their place of employment just to bolt a year or two later. But again, I just don't feel like Bobby Hurley is just one of those individuals that if they did not enjoy some aspects of living in the Valley of the Sun, they would just come out and say it. I mean, maybe not as bluntly as other statements that he would make concerning basketball matters, but some stuff that you would probably read between the lines and saying, hmm, you know, I wonder if Bobby Hurley really likes living here in the East Valley that much. So I know that that might sound borderline naive to some, but at the end of the day, Bobby Hurley made sure to put that aspect in his statement. He said on Thursday night in his statement that he wanted to stay at Arizona State for a long time, and you're obviously not going to make such a bold statement if you don't enjoy living. But that aspect aside, when I looked at the St. John's job from all aspects, I did not see it as a step up in Bobby Hurley's career as a head coach. Now, if you recall, before arriving at Arizona State, Bobby Hurley's first ever head coaching job was at the University of Buffalo. He definitely uh, built that program to what it was uh, this past season. Ironically enough, a team that handled Arizona State quite easily in the round of uh, 64 in Tulsa in the NCAA tournament. But nonetheless, after that job at Buffalo, when the opportunity to play at a high major conference such as the Pac-12 presented itself with his Arizona State job opportunity, Bobby Hurley jumped at that possibility and the rest is history, as they say. Now, for Bobby Hurley to leave Tempe for another high major job, I just think that it really has to be a program that is in better shape right now than St. John's. Even though St. John's made the NCAA tournament this past season, ironically played Arizona State in that first four game in Dayton, lost to the Sun Devils. This was actually the second year in a row that Chris Mullen's team lost to Arizona State. It also happened in 2017 when the two met at the Staples Center, part of the Hall of Fame classic triple header there in Los Angeles. And regardless of what of media members here in the Valley and local Arizona State fans think about St. John's not being an attractive job to leave Arizona State for, I've yet to see any of the 
media members on the East Coast that either cover St. John's on a daily basis or are just very knowledgeable of that program say that Bobby Hurley would better himself career-wise going to St. John's. I mean, that's a program right now that's not in a good shape. And I'm not saying Arizona State was in excellent shape when Bobby Hurley left Buffalo to come to Tempe, but at least that was a step up. He went from a mid-major to a high-major conference. He went to a program that had more resources and more visibility. So that was a move that made sense. Now, obviously, moving from the Pac-12 to the Big East, just in terms of from one conference to another, could seem as a, a job that would advance your career. But you have to look at the particulars, and obviously the first thing you look at is what program are you leaving? What program are you entering? And St. John's just did not seem as an attractive job to Bobby Hurley at the end of the day. And again, I think that whether you're a knowledgeable basketball fan or part of the media who covers college basketball, that was an objective statement to make. That wasn't built in with any bias or any sort of sub subjectivity when it came to that proposition. Now, let's talk dollars and cents, because as much as you think that the grass is greener somewhere else, it has to be worth your while from a financial standpoint. Right now at Arizona State, Bobby Hurley is set to make $2.4 million a year. Now, when you think about the cost of living in New York, and even though Maricopa County isn't one of the cheapest places in the country to live, it's still a good 180% cheaper to live here than it is in the city of New York, where St. John's is located at. For St. John's to make an offer for Bobby Hurley that would really make it advantageous for him to leave Tempe and move to Queens, or at least move to one of the five boroughs of New York City, they would maybe not need to double Bobby Hurley's salary, but I would say at least pay him a good three and a half million dollars, not two, three years down the road, but to start. I mean, they can't come to Bobby Hurley and say, okay, well, you you made $2.4 million right now at Arizona State, and we're going to bump it up to $2.7 million. I don't think I need to explain to anybody there, and you really don't need a degree in economics to even understand what I'm about to say, that if you make $2.4 million here in Phoenix, that dollar would go a much further way, if you will, than making even 2.7 or even $3 million in the state of New York. And again, just from a simple cost of living perspective. I mean, if you have some free time, go on Google and find a cost of living comparison tool and compare both cities. Now, I heard some argue that St. John's has deep pockets, and I guess one of their biggest boosters uh, is the uh, founder of Vitamin Water. But here's my kind of argument to that. Chris Mullen, who is an absolute god at St. John's, the most famous and most successful alumnus that program has ever had and probably will ever have in the future, was making only $2 million a year. And granted, I'm sure Chris Mullen has money from his NBA playing days, staffed somewhere, and he wasn't hard up for money. But that $2 million salary in New York is probably the equivalent to, I would say, $1.25 million in Phoenix, for example. 
But if St. John's is supposedly all flushed with money, why not pay a legend such as Chris Mullen more than $2 million a year? I mean, you can't make an argument about having stashes of cash ready for a rainy day, but yet paying your outgoing head coach only $2 million, which even in Pac-12 terms would not be considered a high salary, let alone in a Big East conference, which has a lot of marquee programs over there, but also a cost of living, which again is considerably more expensive than many of the Pac-12 markets, I guess, outside of the state of California, to be honest. But nonetheless, the money was definitely an issue because I don't think that St. John's was prepared to pay Bobby Hurley a million, let alone more than a million dollars a year than it did to Chris Mullen, which, by the way, they did have to buy out. I mean, we know that resignation of Chris Mullen comes with huge quotation marks around the word itself. And basically, not only does St. John's needed to pay Bobby Hurley a hefty amount per year, again, probably the most they paid any head coach over there, they would have to pay Bobby Hurley's buyout from Arizona State, which was over and above the salary they're going to pay him at St. John's, a sum of $3 million. Again, this is not a program that, if you look at his history, has exhibited those deep pockets and exhibited those very affluent boosters that it claims to have. I also heard the argument that if Bobby Hurley went to a market like New York City, that he would be able to make considerable amount of money off the court. My question again is, let's look at Chris Mullen, a basketball figure that's absolutely revered in the city of New York, in his alma mater of St. John's. Did anybody hear or witness Chris Mullen making six figures, even five figures, doing commercials for, I don't know, car dealerships, hedge funds on Wall Street, or whatever business have happens to be the case in the five boroughs of New York? I haven't. And I would think that St. John's really would not sell Bobby Hurley on that, saying, well, we're going to lowball you as far as the annual salary from the school, but don't worry, we have all these companies lined up where you can make $100,000, $500,000 more a year just by endorsing their product or anything of that nature. I just don't see that as being a selling line. And again, if it didn't happen with a figure such as Chris Mullen, who's to say that it would happen with Bobby Hurley, who is really more of a legend across the Hudson River in New Jersey than he is actually in the city of New York. Or if he ever moved to North Carolina, I'm sure that, yes, he would definitely be able to garner a lot of endorsement opportunities over there. But that is another argument that, from a financial standpoint, just did not hold any water whatsoever and did not present itself as a true financial incentive for Bobby Hurley to leave Arizona State for St. John's. And I'm not saying money was everything in this case, but just because of the enormous cost of living in the city of New York that had to be easily a top three factor that had to be taken under heavy consideration when considering such a major job change. And aside from the compensation for Bobby Hurley himself, 
you also have to think about the compensation for his staff. And again, you're talking about cost of living, which is infinitely higher in the city of New York compared to the metropolitan Phoenix area. And that, I think, is another factor that really was not working in St. John's advantage at all. Now, sure, you can have the argument that you want to strike while the iron is hot. And Bobby Hurley leading Arizona State to back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances the first time in school history since 1981 is definitely a clear sign on how Bobby Hurley was able to turn around this program, let alone having consecutive top 25 recruiting classes. AC finished with 23 wins, the most since the 2008-2009 season, which was also James Harden's last season in Tempe. Arizona State did sweep Arizona in the season series for the first time since 2009. When you look at attendance, even though attendance went down a little this past season compared to Bobby Hurley's third year in Tempe, having average attendance marks of 10,583 in 2018-19 and 10,603 in 2017-18 are the highest attendance figures ever for the Arizona State basketball program and obviously the first time these attendance figures reached the 10,000 mark. Arizona State was the only Pac-12 team to land three players in the all-conference team and this was an accomplishment that last took place in Tempe some 20 years ago. So I can go on and on with the accolades that Bobby Hurley was able to achieve this past season and demonstrate how successful he was in Tempe. And still there would be some more critical fans, if you will, that were disappointed with Arizona State's accomplishments in the postseason. Arizona State was able to make it to the semifinals of the Pac-12 tournament, lost an overtime game to Oregon. And had they won that game, they would avoid their NCAA fate, which had them returning to Dayton two years in a row for that first four game. And I think Arizona State is the first program to ever achieve that, if you will. And after beating St. John's out of all teams in that game in Dayton, Bobby Hurley faced his old team, University of Buffalo, in the round of 64 in Tulsa and lost that game. So I know that some fans didn't really see the postseason run that Arizona State had as being very successful or memorable, uh, even though Arizona State won its first NCAA tournament game in 10 years. And some even thought that this might really convince Bobby Hurley to leave Arizona State because with all of these accomplishments I mentioned during the regular season, not to have much to show for in the postseason might have discouraged him or made him think about his future at Arizona State. And I really don't see that argument, just like the financial argument I mentioned earlier, because Bobby Hurley, again, going back to his blunt and honest traits, which are definitely a fabric of his character and his personality, Bobby Hurley is somebody who would definitely look in the mirror and say to himself, yes, I did not have the greatest postseason run with this team, despite everything that I achieved during the regular season, but he's taking inventory of himself and all the things that he did wrong 
rather than point the finger to his players, point the finger to his staff members, point the finger to athletic director Ray Anderson or university president Dr. Michael Crow and say that those were the factors that prevented him from really capitalizing on a successful regular season. And even during the regular season, you know, we talked in previous podcasts about very disappointing losses at home to Washington State, at home to Utah, at home to Princeton, which again really created that domino effect that had Arizona State not in the most ideal situations playing in the NCAA tournament. But I don't think that that is something that Bobby Hurley would look at and say, yeah, you know, this really didn't go as well as I wanted to be. I'm going to leave Arizona State because of that. I mean, again, I just don't think that's an argument that holds water. So if you want to say that Bobby Hurley was probably thinking about being on a high during his career at Arizona State and his career as a whole as a head coach for only the last six seasons, wanting to better himself somewhere else, sure, that is an argument that is valid. But to move to a program like St. John's, who, by the way, has been leaking like a sieve ever since Chris Mullen, quote-unquote, resigned in terms of players transferring, players entering the NBA draft. So you already have a talent drain there to begin with. I just don't see Bobby Hurley objectively looking at St. John's as a program that would better his trajectory as a head coach, that would better his success as a head coach. He was in for some really lean years at St. John's. And again, we don't even know if the financial aspect would even make it worth as well to begin with, but let's let's pretend that they really gave him a salary that he just could not turn down, even with the cost of living in New York City. I just think Bobby Hurley, who admittedly is a very impatient person, an impatient coach, would really not want to go through growing pains in St. John's for the next year or two. Same growing pains he had at Arizona State, by the way, just a couple years ago, and leave a program such as Arizona State that is still going to be projected to be an upper echelon program this coming season. That still has a lot of talent returning, despite the departures of Zylan Cheatham, Daquan Lake, and Lugan Stort, who we'll talk about in a few minutes in this podcast. So, really, this is why I went on record earlier this week thinking that St. John was not going to be the program that Bobby Hurley was going to leave for, a program that he viewed as a greener pasture that was going to benefit him on so many levels, a program that his family would be lock in step with him, eager to leave, and uh, and go to the East Coast. I, I just really just never saw it happening. And I think the fact that Bobby Hurley is staying in Tempe really says it all on how much he views the Arizona State job compared to the St. John's job. And yeah, I mean, he got the extension and, the, and possibly the raise as well as we expected him to get. So he can thank his good friend, Craig, for helping him achieve that inadvertently or not. Again, Thank the Arizona State Banquet, which is just about wrapping up as we're wrapping up this section of the podcast for creating a sense of urgency and forcing both sides to make a statement on Thursday evening, sending a Sun Devil Nation who was quite anxious in the beginning of the week in a much better state of mind going into the weekend. 
As joyful as Thursday was for the ASU fans, knowing that Bobby Hurley is not leaving for St. John's and will remain Arizona State's head coach, Wednesday was quite different and really not so much sadness, but maybe confusion and frustration, if you will, with the announcement of Lugens Dort, to Pac-12 freshman in the year, that the guard will enter the NBA draft, however, will also stay in the draft. In other words, slamming the door shut for any possible return for his sophomore year in case his NBA draft projection did not pan out as he in his camp probably expected it to. Now, as a reminder, and something that we mentioned several times before, is that the new rule that was instituted this year allows an early entrant to the NBA draft, such as Lugens Dort, to hire an NCAA certified agent. And as long as that agent only covers meal and lodging expenses that are related to the NBA combine and various workouts that might take place with various teams, that someone like Dort could return to school if following the NBA combine his draft projection was something that he and those close to him helping him in the process would deem unfavorable. But this was really a case of somebody who just had a lifelong dream of playing in the NBA, somebody who's willing to bet on himself. And even though Dort's draft projections seem to be somewhat 50-50 between a low first-round selection, which would definitely justify an early entry into the NBA draft, and being selected early second round, a projection that some would argue should not merit an early entry into the NBA draft, that Dort would at least take on the path that would leave open the possibility of returning to Arizona State trying to better himself and his draft stock for his sophomore year. But Dort was really resolute in his decision of entering the NBA draft. And even though the projections, like I said, are far from a slam dunk, no pun intended, of being selected in the first round, that he is willing to take that chance and basically declaring that he played his last year of college basketball and is ready to embark on his professional career. I did over the last couple of weeks talk to a few sources that are close to Dort and are close to the NBA draft process that he's about to embark on. And Lugans Dort is absolutely content playing in the NBA Developmental League if that's what it took to be a necessary stepping stone, if you will, for his NBA career. So he doesn't care if playing in that league would be following a low first-round pick, which would be attractive in some ways more than a lottery pick, not because of the money 
aspect, but obviously playing for a playoff team, or even if he was selected early second round, which would be playing for one of the worst teams in the NBA, but nonetheless, he's willing to put in that time and better himself as a player playing in the NBA itself or playing in its G League, knowing that that's the path that not only he, but many other players in his position have to embark on before they can have a career in the NBA. So the frustration that I talked about the Arizona State fans feeling about Dort's decision to remain in the NBA draft, no matter what the draft prediction would be, are stemming from the fact that he definitely has some holes in his game. Now, sure, he did pace Arizona State in scoring with 16.1 point average, and it goes without saying that all the achievements that Bobby Hurley has to his credit in this 2018-19 season, you can definitely look at somebody like Lugens Dort as being an integral part of that. Lugens Dort also averaged 4.3 rebounds, and when we talk about an Arizona State team that was much better on the glass this past season than just a couple years ago, Lugens Dort is definitely a significant factor in that department as well. But for all of us that saw Lugens Dort play night in and night out for the Sun Devils, we realized that we're still talking about a player that does not have a consistent jump shot, which as a 6-4 guard is obviously something that's integral to your game, doesn't always have the best shot selection or overall decision-making. And there was a good stretch in the middle of the season where opponents were able to neutralize this brute force driving to the basket and really forced Dort to adjust his game. And that was just a painful process, which you could just call the normal learning curve that a freshman has to go through. But nonetheless, it really took quite a while for Dort to figure things out. And while it's not a knock on somebody who is going through the grind of a freshman year, when you look at a player entering the NBA draft, you just figure that the peaks and valleys are reduced to a minimum. And that's what really makes you a special player. And it's hard to say with Dort that we saw a good measure of consistency. I mean, he was great during the month of November. He was, for the most part, very good from mid-February until the end of the season. But you had a good chunk in December and January where Dort was struggling quite a bit. And when we talked about those really frustrating, if not improbable, losses that the Sun Devils suffered to Princeton, Utah, Washington State, uh, those were games that Dort, and he wasn't the only one, was really having a hard time finding himself, finding his shot, and that definitely adversely affected the Sun Devils during that time. Uh, I think that Dort is definitely an above-average defender, and really when you build like a linebacker or a strong safety in football, you definitely expect someone to use those physical traits and neutralize his, his opponent, and I think Dort, for the most part, really did a good job of that. And there's no coincidence that he earned a spot in the Pac-12's all-defensive team, something that usually many freshmen in the Pac-12 
do not receive that honor. So that's definitely a feather in Dort's cap. But again, all in all, I think that you could see enough shortcomings in, in Lugens Dort's game to have him maybe not question an early entry to the draft, but going back to that new rule of being able to hire an agent and still come back to school, that that was a path that Dort was going to take and just being really all in in the NBA draft and not having any desire whatsoever to return to Arizona State, even if that could potentially boost your stock for the 2020 draft, is something that I know a lot of fans do not agree with. You can always make the argument that the 2020 draft would be more loaded in talent than it is in 2019, and that is another factor that played a, an aspect that influenced Dort. And I'm sure that agents that he and his camp were talking to, some of them at least mentioned that fact, and that's something that also compelled Dort to make the move that he made. Now, we're going to devote a podcast later in the fall talking about the 2019-2020 Arizona State basketball team and all its pieces and how we project that team going into the season. But now that Dort's departure is official, and obviously there's two outgoing seniors in Zylan Cheatham and Daquan Lake up front, let's take a quick look at the roster for Arizona State for the 2019-2020 season and see the impact of all those losses on the Sun Devils. Now, the 2017-2018 campaign for ASU introduced all of us to guard you, a very senior-laden squad with talented guards such as Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, and Cody Justice. Remy Martin uh, was an up-and-coming freshman that season, actually won uh, co-six-man of the year in the Pac-12, and I know some fans may have liked that style of play over others, and I think that this past season, Arizona State was much more balanced in terms of its guard play and its play in the front court. Well, I think that with the departures of Dort, Cheatham, and Lake, that you might see more of a return to the guard you roots, if you will, and outside shooting that was a challenge in last year's team is definitely going to be more of a strength this coming season. Conversely, rebounding, which really improved this past year, and again, players like Zylan Cheatham and Lugens Dord had a huge part in that improvement. Now, that's an aspect that I could see Arizona State possibly taking a step back in. The strength of this team is definitely going to be in its guard play. Remy Martin had the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the Pac-12, and Pac-12 play alone was second in the conference in assist. And the junior-to-be is definitely going to be counted on to lead this team, and I think his body of work from the first two seasons speaks for itself, and I think that ASU certainly has a capable floor general at, at its disposal. Rob Edwards, the transfer guard who had to uh, sit out the 17-18 season and very early this past year suffered a back injury that he had to undergo surgery for earlier this week. 
was projected to be the leading scorer, not only by me, but also by Bobby Hurley before the season began. And that back surgery really caused Edwards to be quite inconsistent throughout the year. It must have been a very frustrating campaign uh, for him. And we talk about Arizona State's woes with their outside shooting. I think Rob Edwards' injury played a huge factor in that area. But a healthy Rob Edwards can certainly be a weapon for Arizona State this coming year. And I think that having incoming junior college transfer Alonzo Verge, an absolute prolific shooter who averaged over 30 points a game this past season, should, at least on paper, really take a lot of the load off of Edwards when it comes to the outside shooting aspect of the squad. And he is someone I really expect to contribute right away in the 2019-2020 season, possibly even start in the backcourt along with Remy Martin and Rob Edwards. Another guard that will be joining the ranks is uh, Jalen House, son of ASU great Eddie House, a player that has somewhat of an erotic jump shot, but somebody that really plays 100 miles an hour on both ends of the court. I think being a relentless defender is something that really attracted the ASU staff to him besides, obviously, the great genes that he has. I don't think that he'll be a player that ASU will count on quite a bit as a freshman, but somebody that off the bench could definitely provide a spark here and there for the Arizona State backcourt. One addition for the upcoming season that is really kind of flying under the radar, somebody who definitely was not considered to be a blue chip recruit or somebody who was highly coveted among Pac-12 teams is Caleb Christopher. Now, the carrot at the end of this is that his younger brother, Josh Christopher, is a five-star guard in the 2020 class. And that definitely was a strategic move, if you will, by the ASU staff, thinking that if you could bring the older brother on board, that they might get the younger brother in the fold as well. But that aside, Caleb Christopher really provides that legitimate backup point guard to Remy Martin. And anybody in our premium message board, Sparky's Huddle, knows that I harped on that point quite a bit going into the season, that Arizona State is definitely going to encounter issues not having a true backup point guard, backup point guard to Remy Martin. Remy Martin's injury earlier in the year and really the inability of uh, Lugens Dort being a, being a ball handler hurt Arizona State quite a bit in several games in the non-conference and maybe even the first couple weeks of conference play. Once Ray Martin was healthy, you could see the difference in how smoothly this offense was running. But now to have somebody like Caleb Christopher who can spell Remy Martin for even just seven, eight minutes a game on average can really provide quite beneficial for Arizona State. Elias Valtonen, who was a freshman last year, really saw a lot 
did not see a lot of action at all. 3.9 minutes per game in playing in only 20 games. I'm really not sure what kind of contribution we can expect from him going forward. And if the addition of Alonzo Verge can possibly stun his development in the years to come. But someone who just were, were not able to see much of at all during his freshman year and maybe with a more opportune uh, framework for this coming season could actually uh, showcase his skills. Uh, we really did just saw flashes here and there, but nothing really, I don't think to get too excited, at least not at this point for what he can contribute uh, as a sophomore. When you look up front, uh, I think that the two players that ASU is going to rely on the most are uh, Romelo White, who's going to be a junior next year, as well as Kimani Lawrence, who's going to be a junior himself. Uh, I think both of those players definitely took a back seat because of the play of Zylan Cheatham and Lugans Dort. And now that those two are no longer on the team, you would expect this duo to really take a step forward. I think Kimani Lawrence is a player that does get probably a little too much criticism, at least to my liking. Again, I think that the way that he played, averaging uh, eight, eight points, three and a half rebounds, are not bad contributions at all for somebody who's coming off the bench. I think that's a role that he might play again next year. But I would expect to see a jump in production uh, from Kimani Lawrence and be perhaps a valuable six-man for the Sun Devils this coming year. Uh, Romello White had okay numbers with 8.7 points per game, 5.2 rebounds. As I mentioned, overshadowed a lot by Zylan Cheatham. So I don't know if he was really able to show his range of skills. But the spotlight is definitely going to be on him to provide that inside presence, to provide that deft rebounder that Arizona State, I feel, is sorely going to need with the departures of Cheatham and Dort. And we'll see if Romello White can fulfill that uh, role. Tayshawn Cherry, very erratic freshman this past season, probably has the purest three-point shot on the team, but definitely has to mature physically and, more importantly, mentally to really realize his vast potential. And he's going to be counted a lot, not only as a three-point shooter, but somebody who can at least rebound the ball well on defense. And I think he showed flashes as a defender. It's just going to be a matter of being able to really meet the higher level of expectations that's going to be placed on him as as a sophomore this coming year. Uh, Yorish Plasvic, a seven-foot center, who by all accounts seems to be a more athletic and polished version of Jordan Bashinsky from, from earlier uh, this decade, and at least as a freshman, is projected to be more of a contributor. Uh, somebody who has improved his athleticism, has improved the physicality of his game. I don't think he'll be counted on as a starter, but will definitely have to provide some productive minutes off the bench uh, for Arizona State uh, in, in his front court. And if he can be 
better than Daquan Lake was this past season, I think that can go a long way uh, in Arizona State's chances for success and, more importantly, just really having an inside presence uh, in the paint on both ends of the court. Uh, Jalen Graham is an incoming freshman forward, uh, rivals 150, 150 player. Uh, definitely Arizona State, you could say, landed one of the better local uh, prospects in Graham, who hails from Phoenix, uh, Mountain Point. I don't feel that much will be expected from him as a freshman. Uh, this is more of an investment uh uh, to the future with him. So we'll see how much he can factor in the rotation for Arizona State. But in terms of key players and how to make up the losses of the departing players, those are really the players that he should be looking for in the 2019-2020 season for Arizona State. I think it might be hard for them to duplicate the number of wins, both Pac-12 victories and overall record to duplicate a second-place finish in the league. We talked so many times this year about how weak the Pac-12 was, and I don't think Arizona State needs to make any apologies for taking advantage of a down conference, but it's hard to imagine, even though you see you see some turnover with players, that the Pac-12 will be this week in 2019-20 as it was in 2018-2019. If it is, again, for some reason, I think Arizona State is in a probably better position than a lot of other teams that might be counting more on their true freshmen compared to Arizona State. And when you have proven, experienced players, that usually can go a long way establishing yourself as a solid team. So this was a quick look at this Arizona State team and its personnel following uh, the departure of those three players. And stay tuned for a podcast just about six months from now where we're going to talk at much more length and give you a preview of the 2019-2020 Sun Devils. In our last segment of the podcast, as always, we answer your questions about any and all topics concerning Sun Devil Sports. All these questions tonight uh, do come from our premium message board, Sparky's Huddle. And if you're not already a subscriber to Devil's Digest, we definitely encourage you to uh, sign up, interact with your fellow Sun Devil fans. If you like what I offered you in this podcast and previous ones, uh, you definitely get much more insight by being a member of Sparky's Huddle. First question comes from West Valley Devil. In your opinion, what was the deciding factor factors in Bobby Hurley's decision to decline the offer from St. John's? Was it more enjoyment and love of the Valley and ASU, or was it not attractive enough of an offer for Bobby to leave ASU? Um, obviously, I addressed that earlier in the podcast, but just to recap, 
I definitely think it was a combination of both. Uh, again, when Bobby Hurley says that he loves being at ASU, he loves living in the Valley, that's something that he's genuine about. That's just not lip service. He, it's something that he talked many times before during his four years here in Tempe, just, just liking the lifestyle and everything that the Valley offers. Uh, it's no secret that you have tens of thousands of people from all across the nation moving into Maricopa County each and every year. And Bobby Hurley just happened to be just one of those individuals that not only moved to the Valley, but also realized all the benefits they are uh, living here. So I think there's definitely a component of just being very comfortable of where you're at. And you would need something to blow you away to make you change your lifestyle as drastically as a move to St. John's would. And that really answers the second part of your question that, no, I don't think it was attractive enough of an offer for Bobby Hurley to leave ASU for a program like St. John's. I, I'm not naive to think that if there was a better offer than St. John's that Bobby Hurley could have potentially left. But if you're asking me about the attractiveness measure or factor of St. John's, I mean, no, I, I definitely don't think it's there. I don't think, first of all, financially, as I mentioned, that they would be able to make it worth his while. I don't think it's a program that was in a good spot to begin with. You had a lot of talented players leaving the program, whether it's declaring for the NBA draft or just leaving via transfer. I just don't think it was a program that was conducive for success. And again, I'm not saying that ASC was all peaches and cream in 2015 when Bobby Hurley assumed the job here, but there's something to be said about willing to take your lumps when you go from a mid-major to a high-major program versus going from one high-major program to another. So all in all, I don't think St. John's at all had a lot of good things going for it to have Bobby Hurley really, really consider it. And going back to the fact that its athletic director, Mike Craig, is someone who Bobby Hurley has known for a while. If it was just an athletic director that Bobby Hurley did not have a personal deep relationship with, I think that the thanks but no thanks from, from Hurley would come much earlier in the process than it did in this case. Next question comes from VA Devil 9. What information can you divulge on the specifics of the Wells Fargo Arena remodel? Todd Graham had lots of input on the facility upgrade at Sun Devil Stadium. Do you think that Bobby Hurley will have the same ability to pick and choose what he wants as the facility takes shapes and mock-ups have been drawn? Uh, to answer your first question, I really don't know a whole lot about what specifically they're trying to do to Wells Fargo Arena. I, I can tell you that there is going to be some reduction in capacity as the whole seating of the arena is it does get upgrade you're not going to see luxury boxes but some kind of quasi suites in the upper level uh, that is something that has definitely at least been talked about and we'll see if it actually gets implemented once the remodel actually takes place but yeah absolutely i think uh, bobby hurley and his staff is going to have some input 
on what they want it to be look like from a basketball perspective, even though it still is going to serve um, other sports like like volleyball, for example. But uh, yeah, I think absolutely Bobby Hurley is going to have some input. Look, it's no secret that not only Bobby Hurley, but coaches that came before him weren't too crazy about how Wells Fargo looks. It's uh, really in a dire need for an upgrade, and it is coming. It will be in conjunction, as some of you may know, with the construction of the new hockey arena. And that's something that may not be completed until the year 2021. But I think there's a good chance you'll see shovels in the ground, at least when it comes to the hockey arena construction, uh, by the end of 2019. And the remodeling of Wells Fargo Arena more than likely is going to be done just around the basketball and the and the volleyball and the gymnastics and the wrestling seasons. So uh, it might take a little longer to complete, but uh, I think it's really going to be more gutting out the contents of the building, so to speak, and then just rebuilding uh, everything uh, that way. But I definitely think Bobby Hurley is going to have some input uh, on what it's going to look from a basketball perspective. Next question comes from Detroit Gav. With Dort now gone for sure, will ASU try to add one more player in this class and will it be a transfer or a high school prospect? Um, absolutely, I can see Arizona State trying to add one more player in this class. It could be a high school prospect if they fall on someone that kind of slid between the cracks and uh, feel that uh, can be if not an immediate contributor, at least somebody that by their second year with a team can be a significant player. I think it would probably be a front court player, maybe a wing, but I don't, I don't think they would uh, go for another guard. I think they're pretty stacked uh, already in that area, but uh, could be grad transfer. Could, could be high school prospect. Uh, really hard to say at this point, which Avenue uh, they're going to go, go in. Uh, the uh, early, I'm sorry, the late signing period uh, will start Wednesday uh, next week, but uh, I wouldn't rule out making an actual addition much later in April, maybe even in May. I don't think ASU is going to try to reach. They're just going to try to get a player who they deem is going to be a contributor, like I said, if not in their first year in Tempe, definitely in their second year. There's always a chance when you bring in a transfer that uh, they might have to sit out a year. But if it's a transfer that can play right away, that would probably let me to believe that would be a front court player rather than a guard or a wing. Next question comes from R. Mags. Do you know who the new assistant coach will be, or at least the type of coach they're going to hire? Uh, if there's going to be a change at assistant coach for Arizona State, uh, in terms of what kind of assistant they would bring in, uh, because the question was asked if it's going to be more of an X's and O's assistant rather than somebody whose forte is more in recruiting. Look, I mean, you obviously can have a assistant that embodies both. I think uh, Rashawn Bruno, who is by far Bobby Hurley's right-hand man on the staff, definitely embodies someone who is a solid recruiter and a solid X's and O's coach. But I feel that due to the college basketball scandal that you really don't have the need for an assistant coach that has the ties with a shoe company 
you still want a coach that has some AAU club ties, but because of the college basketball scandal, it's an aspect where you really have to tread much more carefully than you did just a year or two ago. So obviously every coach you have on staff needs to be a good recruiter, but I think the need for a solid X's and O's assistant coach on the staff is something we talked about a lot. And even though ASU was successful in many aspects this past season, I do feel that having another competent X's and O's coach on that bench would go a long way. And I have no doubt that Bobby Hurley is going to take that into consideration if he is in the market for a new assistant coach. Next question comes from the original Sun Devil for Life. Do you believe returning to our Guard U roots next year will be enough to go dancing for the third straight year? When the Guard U movement started a couple years ago, I think that was proof right there that, yes, you could succeed with that model. Now, granted, that was one of the most bizarre years of ASU basketball that we'll ever see, going undefeated in a non-conference play, 12-0, ending up being third in the country, going into Pac-12 play, and finishing the Pac-12 slate of the schedule, 8-10, and versus the other league teams being ninth in the conference at the end of the regular season, losing six of their last seven, and absolutely backing into the NCAA tournament. So, yes, that model did work for ASU, worked in a very bizarre way, but I think the proof is in the pudding right there that Arizona State could succeed with a guard-heavy team, a team that is more proficient with its outside shooting than it is with their inside game and their rebounding. But with all the success that Arizona State had with their front court play last year, and I know that losing players like Zylan Cheatham especially, and also Daquan Lake, is going to be hard to replace in terms of their front court play, I still don't see that absolutely being a glaring shortcoming for Arizona State. I don't think it may be as proficient as it was rebounding the ball and just their overall play in the paint, but I think that Bobby Hurley knows that the better balanced the team is, the more chances it has to, if not duplicate what we saw in 2018-19, at least come close to it. So, yes, I do, do think that the team can make it three years in a row to the NCAA tournament, and Going back to the guard your roots doesn't mean necessarily seeing the same exact style of play we saw in 2017-18. Just a style of play that's similar to it, but can still incorporate some of the aspects that we saw with the balanced play this past season. So having better outside shooting can help uh, Arizona State make it three years in a row to the NCAA tournament, something that it's been probably a good 35 years, if not more, that we've seen uh, take place in Tempe. And the last question for tonight comes from ATX, S-A-T-X-S. I don't know how to pronounce that one as one word, so my apologies. And this is actually a football question. Uh, ASU today offered football scholarships for uh, for 10 Arizona State High School uh, freshman class of t- uh, 2022. And the question was, has that ever been done before? Do you think Herm Edwards will still be the coach in 2022? So uh, to answer your question, no, absolutely. I've never seen uh, any previous ASU staff offer 10 local kids in one day 
no matter if they were high school freshmen, sophomores, or juniors. So that's definitely a statement that Arizona State uh, made today. They wanted to get what they perceived as the 45 best local players from the 2022 class, and they offered just about 25% of them that showed up on campus today. So that was definitely an impressive mood, a move, you know, something you could definitely consider as a shock and awe move that not only sends a, a strong statement to the recruits, but also to their coaches and really coaches around the Valley that Arizona State is not going to mess around or lallygag when it comes to local recruits if they identify a player that can help their team. No matter if that player is a freshman or a junior in high school, they're going to offer him right there, right then, not string them along, say they need to see more spring practice and more game film and something like that. That's something that previous ASU ASU coaching staff have definitely been guilty of. And uh, good to see uh, Arizona State make a statement uh, right there. I think that the addition of uh, Sean Aguano, the uh, former Chandler High School coach, is as part of wanting to put more emphasis on the in-state recruiting. And time will tell how successful ASU is going to be with a very talented 2020 class. But obviously, they have definitely uh, staked their claim in the ground when it comes to the 2022 class. And there's no program out there, whether it be Arizona, any given Pac-12 team, let alone teams outside the Pac-12, that can say that they have been more diligent about the 2022 local class than Arizona State has. So I think definitely a very strong and impressive statement for the Sun Devils. Now, when it comes to whether Herm Edwards is still going to be the coach in 2022, I think that's definitely a legitimate question because I definitely did not anticipate uh, Herm Edwards to be the coach long-term. I don't think it has anything to do with his health or his capabilities, but just uh, knowing that there's probably a coach in the waiting, more specifically defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez, that is going to take over this program in the foreseeable future. And to answer your question, I think it's definitely going to happen by 2022 in the the latest, which is obviously not too far out from here. So I think when the recruits are getting offered by the CSU coaching staff, they're knowing there's a good chance that Herm Edwards may not be here in 2022, but somebody like Sean Aguano, a lot of members of the coaching staff will indeed still be, be, be part of the Sun Devil staff, and that's what really matters at the end of the day. So the fact that the head coach may be somebody different, I think is really immaterial over here because a lot of these recruits that got offered today got to see a lot of key members of the staff that will still be here when it's time for them to sign on the dotted line and be Sun Devils. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you're not a subscriber for devilsdigest.com, would encourage you to join us there in the Devil's Huddle, talk about all the topics we discuss in this podcast and much, much more in the weeks and months to come. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next time. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. 
Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town